your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter number 13. It's going to be up on the screen. I'm going to read with you. I just need to let you know that I tend to teach very practically, and it's because that's how I learn. So when I'm speaking to you like I'm an elementary school teacher, it's not insulting your intelligence, it's just an indicator of mine. That is how I like to learn. Uh, no, it's good, I, I mean, it's a good thing. If everybody looked at life as uncomplicated as I did, you would be a lot more happy. So I'm just gonna keep it real nice and simple because Jesus kept it simple. So you're ready this morning? Let's start reading. Love is, what is love? Love is patient. Turn the person next to you and say, ouch. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered or offended or touchy, and it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, and girls, just show you, so you know, this is just not a male attribute. This is a female thing too. We need to also be protectors. It always trusts, not easy to do, but our God requires, always hopes, and always perseveres. Love never fails. So what is love? The Bible lays it out for us nice and simply in that passage there in 1 Corinthians 13. So what I want to do today is I want to kind of do a bit of a mashup. And I have some props. You okay with props? I've got some props because, like I said, I'm a I'm a simple learner and a simple communicator. So I bought some props and I want to kind of mash up the words of Paul here in 1 Corinthians 13 with a passage of scripture where Jesus is speaking. Now, uh, this particular passage in time with the, the passage I'm about to share with you, Jesus is thrust into a culture that was really full of a lot of hypocrisy. And in Luke chapter number six, verse 39 to 41, Jesus enters the scene. Jesus speaks into the chaos, talks to people about making sure that they're not giving in a way that uh, is to receive glory for themselves. It talks about not judging because you yourself will be judged. He's really speaking to the very prevalent culture at the time of, of hypocrisy hypocrisy and human nature is very much so that we tend to be very very quick and very easily point out the flaws in other people while being oblivious to our own flaws and the faults in our own life and and into that culture Jesus speaks and this is what he says in the book of Luke chapter number 6 verse 39 to 41 he says can the blind lead the blind Will they not both fall into a pit? The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. And I put it to you today that we've all been trained really by someone, whether a good trainer or a bad trainer, but we've all been trained. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your spouse's eye and pay no attention to the dirty great big tree sticking out of your own eyeball. See, amplified. How can, 
you say to your spouse, spouse, husband, wife, let me take, let me get the tweezers and take the speck out of your eye. When you fail to see the enormous forest growing out of your own head. And then Jesus says, you hypocrite, not my words. Here's just in case, don't send me emails, send them to him. You hypocrite, first take the tree out of your own eye and then you will see clearly. And then you will see clearly. Husbands and wives, I want you to turn to each other right now. And I want you to say, I want to see clearly so I can love you right. Now, single people, yes, this is a message for you. Because what I've learned is there is no such thing as marriage problems. No such thing. There's just single people problems that get transported into a marriage relationship. It's just, we call them marriage problems now because it's like we can share the load. Oh, it's a marriage problem. It's her fault too. His fault too. No, no, you just brought your single man, your single gal baggage into the marriage relationship. So single people, you're going to take note. I want you to say this. I want you to say, Jesus, help me see, see clearly. So when I get married, I can love my spouse right. Good for you. Okay. So just like Jesus said in this scripture, we've all been trained to see things a certain way. We've all had training, whether we've had good teachers or bad teachers, whether rightly or wrongly, life has handed us some spectacles, some shades. And those shades have got filters on them. And those filters determine how we view our marriage relationship. And in turn, the marriage relationship, how we view it, is the reflection of the marriage experience we will have. So the title of my message this morning is, drum roll, 50 Shades of Cray. <laughs> Have you, like me, been wearing the shades of crazy and walking into that marriage relationship thinking everybody else is wrong, but it's you who are wearing the shades of cray? So right now, today, we're going to do what Jesus is asking us to do and not look at this message through the filters of what our spouse needs to do differently and how they need to change, but rather getting the mirror, pointing it back at ourselves and saying, what shades, what crazy shades is God asking me to take off today? Is he asking me to deal with today? So I'm going to point out just a few. Don't have time for 50, but we have time for six if I move really fast. I may not be able to delve really deep into every single one of them, but at least they will be a launching pad for you to really ask the Holy Spirit, what crazy shades am I wearing? How are they distorting my view? And what do I need to take off to enjoy love the way that 1 Corinthians 13 describes it? So you ready? Oh, we're going to have some fun this morning. 50 shades of cray. The first pair of shades. You may not be able to read them from the back there. The shades of pride. Oh, the shades of pride. You know, the thing about these shades, despite the fact I cannot see, someone get ready to catch me if I fall off the front there. These shades... 
You can't see clearly when you have these shades on. In fact, the Bible says if you walk into any relationship wearing these shades, your harvest is going to be a marriage that looks like the fight club. This is what it says. Proverbs 13.10, pride, the shades of pride only breed quarrels. But wisdom is found in those who take advice. Remember, many, many years ago in another country, Pastor Jürgen and I were doing uh, a bit of marriage counselling for a couple. And uh, the wife had just had enough. I mean, she was done. She was dusted. This relationship was over. She'd been hitting a brick wall the entire uh, seven years that they'd been together. And... Uh, during the course of the time we were sitting together as she was kind of saying all the things that were going wrong, you know, all the things that were happening, we turned to the husband and we said, okay, what's your take on this? And my gosh, I'm telling you, I would have struggled to stay married to the man, can I just say. He talked about all the things his wife did wrong all the time and what became really clear really quickly was that he was never wrong. He was never, ever wrong. Even if he was wrong, it was because of her. I was wrong because you made me wrong. And you know what Ephesians 5 says? It says, woman, submit. I'm never wrong. I'm always right. You know, in one of those situations, it's hard to kind of know just what to say, especially when you're a woman sitting there and the man in question clearly had no respect for women. He was about to lose his marriage. It seems like he didn't care. And I'm like, God, what do we do here? How do we... What do we say that can even potentially bring an element of truth or or save this marriage? And God said to me, Leanne, ask him if he has any friends. I thought, that is an odd question. But all right, I'll do as you ask. And so I said, so tell me about your male friendships. Do you have male friends? Do you have buddies? Do you have anyone that you're in relationship, anyone you're talking to? And through the course of the conversation, it came out that no, he, he didn't have any close friends. Let me tell you why that relates to the shades of pride. Think about close friendships with good Christian people is that they will keep you humble. I know my friends love me and I know my friends are committed to not letting me live with a spirit of pride because they tell me when I'm wrong. In order to give them that ability and that authority, I have to let them in close enough and let them see the real me. My life, in my business, up in my grill. You know, the Bible says that a fool isolates themselves and then they rage rage against all wise counsel. So whatever you don't allow those relationships to come into your life and tell you maybe not what you want to hear, but what you need to hear, guess what? Your marriage relationship, your love life is always going to be at the mercy of those shades of pride. Let someone in. I'm not talking about someone that is as jacked up as you, okay? I'm talking about a good Christian friend who lives in the same town, who lives maybe even in the same street, that goes to the same church. I hear a lot of times, particularly men, I'm sorry guys, I'm not picking on you, but they'll say, oh yes, uh, my mentor who lives in, he lives in New York. He tells me and I am accountable to him. The dude sees you once a year. He doesn't know the real you. 
You can't see the real you on Skype. You can't see the real you when you meet once a year for a coffee at Starbucks for an hour. Where is the person that sees your 24-7 every day, the good, the bad, and the ugly, that has the courage to tell you not what you want to hear, husband or wife, but what you need to hear? You know what? And then, here's the thing, because pride will sometimes listen, but pride will not change. See, Pharaoh listened to Moses. He gave Moses the audience, but then he never did, took the advice that Moses gave him. So pride, even though occasionally it may listen, it will never let that listening, that advice translate into behavior change. How do you to get rid of those shades of pride that are damaging your relationship? Allow somebody in. Allow somebody in. Let them see the real you. Give them an all-access pass and permission to tell you what you don't want to hear. Can somebody have a conversation with you that makes you uncomfortable? Can someone talk to you, husband, about the way you speak about your wife, about the fact that you don't buy her nice things, the fact that you don't take her on vacations, the fact that you don't esteem her in public. Wives, is there anyone close enough to you that they can tell you when you've got a bad attitude, when you're being negative, when you're being unfair or throwing your spouse under the bus, or maybe about the fact that you haven't been intimate for over a month because you just didn't feel like it? Do you have those kinds of friends? Because in order to keep those shades of pride firmly off your face, you have to let the guard down and let someone accountable, trustworthy, a good Christian friend in to see the real you. Can somebody say amen? These next shades, now these next shades, they kind of like this is the struggle that every human has in varying degrees. I think at any given time, as much as we can take these shades off, they're always going to want to climb back on our face. And at best, you can maybe hope that it, it's reduced to a tiny little monocle, just a tiny little, little speck in the corner that you can pull off when you realize it's there. The next shades are the me shades. Me, me, me. It's all about me and my life and my wants and my crazy needs. It's all about me. You've heard the song. What about me? It isn't fair. I've had enough and now I want my share. Can't you see, husband or wife, I want to live. But you just take more than you give. The anthem husbands and wives all over the globe. Let's look and see what Jesus has to say. Love does not seek its own interests. Interesting. Do you know the first command of the Bible, of the satanic Bible, forgive me, is do as thou wilt. You know, I didn't realize I was living as a closet Satanist for so long, but I guess I was following the commands of the satanic Bible so perfectly. It was all about me. You know what the Bible says in Ephesians number 5, chapter number 21? It says, submit to one another. Submit to one another. It doesn't say submit to one another because your spouse deserves it. it doesn't say submit 
to one another because your spouse will never take advantage of you. Let me tell you right now, we live in a world that makes us petrified about the thought that we could potentially be taken advantage of. Let me just clear up that fear right now. You will be taken advantage of in a marriage relationship. You will because you're married to a human. Did you know that? A real human. It doesn't say submit to one another because your spouse, you know, they, they'll never let you down. They'll never take advantage of you. They deserve it. They're perfect. You can always trust them. No, Ephesians 5.21 says submit to one another out of reverence to the Lord. In other words, what the Bible is saying here is there may be times that your husband or wife does not deserve your submission, you making their preferences your preferences. But God is saying, that's why I want you to replace the face in the marriage relationship. Because there'll be times in your marriage that you don't want to make your spouse's preferences your preferences. And God's like, well, you know, that's understandable. That's why I don't want you to do it for them. I don't want you to do it because they deserve it. I don't want you to do it because they're trustworthy. I want you to do it because I deserve it and I am trustworthy. I want you to replace the face. You know, most marriage relationships, they end up in like a bit of a cold war where I'm fighting for my rights and my husband's fighting for his and all the while we're in a stalemate and none of us by the end of it can even stand being around each other. We both think one another are selfish. Someone has to go first. I remember having this conversation with God and God said to me, Leanne, who should go first? I said, well, that is easy, Jürgen, because he's the man. He wants to lead, go ahead and lead. Go ahead and go first. And then God very clearly said, Leanne, I want you to go first. What he does with his shades is up to him. I want you to be responsible for the shades you've got on your own face. You have to trust that the God who has begun a good work in you will be faithful to begin a good work and bring to completion the good work that he's doing in your spouse. You know the best thing about it? Ah, the freedom. When you're no longer fighting for your rights, when your, your love relationship is no longer a battlefield about whose rights and whose preferences remain supreme. Oh, it's so liberating. Jesus was so right when he said, if you cling to your life tightly, you could lose it. But those who lose their lives in a marriage situation, when you learn to submit to your spouse, the one that God's given you and make their preferences your preferences, you will find your life. You will find peace. I'm telling you, it's almost <clears throat> inexplicable, but it's incredibly liberating. Remember, I used to argue with my husband and He'd want to go out for a surf or go play around a golf. I mean, how dare he want to have recreation, right? How dare he? And I would argue with him and I would argue, I never get any time and we never get any time to spend together. And I would truly spend all the time we had together arguing about the time we didn't have together. And in the end, God said to me, Leanne, instead of railing and whining, Every time your husband wants to go play a round of golf or go for a surf, I want you to just say these words. Have fun. Have fun. Have a good time, babe. I tell you what, to begin with, those words felt like acid in my mouth. <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you. Have fun, you jerk. 
But eventually, after I said it enough, you know what? My attitude started to change to the point where I meant it. Go have fun. My life has not got worse because I've learned to submit and make my husband's preferences my preferences. Likewise, men, this scripture here is not gender specific. Submit to one another out of reverence to the Lord. Guess what, guys? You've got to make your wife's preferences your preferences. You love shopping. You love it. Oh, you hated shopping when you were single, but now you can't wait. You love it. You love it. You, who would have thought it, but you are a conversationalist. You used to just not want to say much, but now we just cannot shut you up. You love talking so much. It's awesome. You know what? You're really social too. You hated going out and going to parties. I mean, it was just draining for you. But now you are a social butterfly. We cannot keep you away from the party. You are a party animal. And girls, you love watching the football quietly. You live to watch the game with no need for conversation. You even love, get it, replenishing the popcorn bowl, bringing that man a beer, giving him a little bit of a back rub because it's not about you because you've made your spouse's preferences your preferences. And guess what? It ends up being this wonderful collaboration of unselfish love and everybody is happy. See, Jesus knew if you view your marriage relationship through the me glasses, and if you make it dependent on your spouse and whether or not they de deserve it, ah, it's going to be derailed from the beginning. So I want you to replace the, the face. I want you to give it as if you're giving it to me, not because they deserve it, but because I deserve it. It's time to take off the shades of me. Come on, somebody give God a shout. Can I just say for our single folks, this is a really good time to start this. Because I know that you all have your lists and everything and you've written your list. But I want to ask you this question. When the person you're looking for turns up, will they be looking for someone like you? See, because we have a list and on that list is all the qualities that we want in our future spouse. But when that Mr. Wright walks past, is he going to go, is that, that's the girl I want to marry. Is he going to look at you and see selfish, whiny, overly emotional? Likewise, guys, when you have your list of the perfect woman and she turns up, is she going to want to be married to you? Are you the person you're looking for is looking for? I wager you'll have a better chance of being the person you're looking for is looking for if you learn in the beginning to take off the me glasses. The next one. Now, this is interesting. 1 Corinthians 13 says this. Love does not keep a record of other people's wrongs. Every woman in the place right now, just get comfortable. Okay, first of all, I just, I need to make a little caveat with this, just in case we have people here that don't grasp the true meaning of what I'm saying. So I need to say this, forgiveness and trust are not the same thing. You can freely forgive, but trust must be earned. You must forgive your abuser, yes, because our faith requires it of us. But it doesn't mean you trust them and invite, invite them back into your life 
or your home until the day or this day may never come, but until the day they bear fruit worthy of repentance. I just want to put that little caveat in here right now in case there are people here who've experienced abuse and I don't want you to filter this through a filter of condemnation. I need to forgive. I need to bring about no. Forgiveness and trust are not the same thing. Are we clear? All right, let me move forward. Okay, so my husband used to say when we'd argue, when my wife and I have an argument, she doesn't get hysterical, she gets historical. And quite honestly, he was right. I mean, if you could have opened my brain and pulled and had a true look at what was on the inside of there, you would have found a filing cabinet. In that filing cabinet, in a neatly arranged, easily accessible order, you will find folders listed with every kind of an offence. And moving forward in our relationship, when that offence was repeated, I would immediately be able to go out and pull out the file and slap it down there and say, look, I have evidence that you are a serial offender with no hope of rehabilitation. I mean, I could tell you the day, I could tell you the time, I could tell you where we were, I could even tell you what he was wearing when the offence took place. I could have worked for the FBI. I mean, I could smell a smell and it would bring back a memory. Oh, that smells like lamb. That reminds me of the time. You know, so often we can keep that, the Bible calls it a ledger or a record in our head of all our spouse's past indiscretions, ready to pull it up at any given time. Let me tell you why that's a problem and that, why that isn't uh, a way to cultivate love in your marriage relationship. Because it totally disempowers change. Once a sinner, always a sinner. Once a criminal, always a criminal. You'll never truly change. Imagine being in a relationship where you're continually labelled and stamped as a bad behaviour from the past, feeling like you're a prisoner of your past and you can never get free. What a horror to live in. The other reason why that's so, in, so negative is because it hands you a pair of shades. When you keep a record of wrongs, a ledger in your mind, and in this particular scripture, the definition of ledger or record is simply like an accounting book. You've got an accounting book in your brain with a, with a tally and a score of all the things that your husband or your wife has done against you. You remember, you remember money owed, you remember that they owe you. And then that ledger, that record of wrongs, that pair, uh, hands you a pair of shades. It hands the, you the, you owe me shades. You owe me. I have a ledger in my brain of all your offences. And what does the cover of that ledger say? It says you owe me. You're in debt to me. First thing to go when you put on the you owe me shades is gratitude and appreciation. Because no long, longer is a kind, loving gesture met with appreciation and gratitude, it's met with a well, as it should be, you owe me. Remember I have that ledger in my head for all the things you've done wrong and done right, you better take me on an awesome date night because you owe me. Remember what you did? And yeah, you owe me that ring with the big rock on it. You owe it to me because remember what you did, you owe me. Takes the appreciation, takes the gratitude out of your relationship and makes it a debt-to-debtor relationship where the person can never truly get free. One of the things to go really fast in a you-owe-me-shades relationship 
when it's a debt-to-debtor relationship, one of the first things to go is romance. One of the first things to go is intimacy. How many people have a great level of intimacy with their bank? How many people every month when you pay your mortgage payment, you get a beautiful perfume-infused letter from your bank saying, Dear beloved Mrs. Matesius, thank you so much for once again this month paying your mortgage on time. I just love you so much and we so appreciate, we're so grateful for all you've done. You know, I don't hear jack diddly squat from my mortgage company unless I miss a payment because it's a debt to debtor relationship. Same is true for the marriage relationship. When you have the book of the record of wrongs safely stored up here and you realize that this person owes you, the, the relationship takes a completely different form. No longer is this relationship built on gratitude and appreciation for all the kind things they've done. It's really just payment for a past debt. I believe that God is wanting us to have a bit of a book burning in our heads and get rid of those things and start to be able to appreciate the one that God has sent us, to be able to see every kind, loving, generous gesture as exactly that, a kind, loving, generous gesture, not an expectation of a debt paid, but a beautiful fulfillment of a desire in you that's been met from a partner who loves you. The next one, you ready for some more? You're awfully quiet. The next one, 1 Corinthians 13 says, love is not easily angered. What does this mean? Love isn't touchy. Love isn't so sensitive that it falls apart at the slightest offense. I remember one time I went through a metal detector at the airport. And I mean, I had taken everything off that was appropriate to take off. I had the belt off, I had the shoes off, the jacket off, walking through and all of a sudden, the alarm goes off, the shrieking, loud alarm. And I'm like, I don't know, I'm, all my jewelry's off. What, I, how did this happen? And then the gal said to me, she said, this particular metal detector is really sensitive. She said, it's going to be picking up. And I found out I had the tiniest little dime in my back pocket. This metal detector was so sensitive, even walking through it with a tiny little coin set off the loudest alarm. Aren't we like that sometimes in marriage? You know, we all come into a marriage relationship and we have some areas of sensitivity. I don't know what yours is, but a place of sensitivity is just an area that's been bruised, it's been potted and prodded and poked and kind of messed with so much that now even the slightest brush brings an area of pain. You know, we all have our little areas of sensitivity. For me, I, I grew up in a family with five girls and my sisters were all incredibly smart. I probably had a level of, I don't know, undiagnosed attention deficit disorder and um, never could really ever grasp math concepts. So for my childhood life and definitely my school years, I was labelled a little bit as a dumbo and a blonde joke. So life handed me a pair of touchy sunglasses and I wore them into the relationship and I'd find that just like I walked through that metal detector at the airport, there were certain things that my spouse would do and I would react. I would set off an alarm, like just inappropriately, like not specific to the, to the size of the offence, but I'd explode. I remember one day, my husband, I asked him to unpack the dishwasher for me when we we're in New Zealand. 
And he went to diligently obey. And then he yelled out, oh, doll, I can't unpack the dishwasher. You turned the dial the wrong way. The dishes are still dirty. That's what he said. Perfectly harmless, funny. But not to a touchy person. I heard, you're stupid. You're all, you've always been stupid and you always will be stupid. And I think it got to the point where I threw a glass and smashed it on the floor, okay? Yes, I was a raging lunatic. I was wearing the touchy glasses. So I want to ask you today, what area of sensitivity is setting off alarms in your marriage that are completely inappropriate? You know, if God really is the healer of wounds, the binder of the brokenhearted, then perhaps we could submit those areas to him so they don't sabotage our love relationships. This is what the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 10, number 5 says, and I love the message version. It says, we use our powerful God tools for smashing warped philosophies, tearing down barriers, the touchy shades, that have been erected against the truth of God. See, I'd believed a lie my whole life. It had become an area of sensitivity. And every time my husband so much as brushed past it, it was World War III. And then it goes on to say, we have to fit every loose thought and emotion and impulse. See here how Paul intertwines our thinking and our emotions and impulses in the same measure. What you think is how you're going to act. And then into the structure of life, we have to put these into the structure of life as believers that have been shaped by Christ. Our tools are ready. When is a good day to deal and take off the touchy shades? Today. Now's the perfect day to deal with that area of sensitivity once and for all so your husband or your wife does not have to walk through the relationship on eggshells. Love is a battlefield and they're like, oh, I don't want to step on the mine. I don't know what to say. No wonder men don't want to talk so much. We don't know what to say and when to say it. And we got the touchy shades. And then it says this, our tools are ready at hand today for clearing the ground of every obstruction and building our lives, lives of obedience into maturity. Paul said, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I behaved like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I grew up, I put off childish things. It's time to take off the touchy shades. Get some backbone, a Christian maturity, a love that isn't easily provoked. Even if you have to communicate to your spouse, you know what? I know I'm being irrational. I know I'm not being fair. I know that I'm not seeing things rightly here. But will you be patient with me as I learn to take off the touchy shades. Communicate to them. Tell them what you're feeling and allow them to help you unravel yourself from that snare of sensitivity that keeps so many marriages in a place of constant conflict. Can somebody say amen? All right, moving fast. Then it says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, what is love? Well, love is kind. Love is not happy with evil. How many people have heard this saying? I'm just keeping it real. I'm just telling it like it is. I'm keeping it real. And all the while you're keeping it real and you're telling it like it, like it is has created a culture in your marriage of brashness and unnecessary hurt. I want to change the let's keep it real to let's keep it kind. Let's keep it kind. You know, Ecclesiastes chapter number three talks about how there is a time and a season 
for everything under heaven, a time to speak and a time to be silent. Every woman say, there is a time to speak. Every man say, there is a time to be silent. Right, okay. I want you to understand that there are some times in some situations in your marriage life that you will want to say a whole lot of things, but you have to get really good at reading the weather. We all have to become weather girls and weather guys. Is this the right season to say what I'm about to say? Proverbs chapter number 12, verse 18 says, Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. You know, there are two words that we often see put together that I think should never, ever go together, and they are domestic abuse. The whole premise of the word domestic is sharing and companionship and warmth and intimacy. But when you add abuse to that situation, the two just don't go together. Your household, what you have together should not be a place where you have to dodge abuse, but a place where you can escape from it. And it's going to take men and women who start to treat and speak to each other with kindness. Sometimes what your spouse doesn't need is a good dose of reality. They need a good dose of kindness. You know, girls, it's not our time to pile on on top of our husband when they come home from a hard day of work and it seems like everybody's been criticizing them. They've been rebuked at work. They've had a really rough day. It's not your time to say, well, yeah, and. It's not your time to say, let me add a thing or two with that and I agree with them and this is why. That's our time as good wives who honor and esteem our husbands to actually put some wind back in their sails, to put some pep back in their step, to actually say to them, you know what, I love you so much. I am so glad I married you. We are going to get through this. This is just a bad day. It's not a bad life. We're going to come through. You're going to go in there tomorrow. You're going to give your very best because I know you got it in you. You're a great man and before long, everybody's going to see it. That's our job. Not keeping it real, but keeping it kind. You know how people say, I'm just telling it like it is. Not only is that really cruel, it's actually not even biblical. Bible says that we're to speak of those things that aren't as though they are. Anyone can point out what's wrong with somebody, but it takes a loving person, a loving wife or a loving husband to actually say, you know what, I'm going to speak to your potential, not to your current reality. I'm going to speak to who you can be and who I know deep down you are instead of what I'm seeing standing before me right now. Maybe men for you, the sensitivity chip for your wives, I'm telling you, it needs to be on high alert at all times. Just saying. There are certain times in a woman's life where you have to be so discerning because kindness really has such a gift of discernment attached to it. Know what to say and when to say it. Particularly, can I just add, I know we have a lot of pregnant mummies out here and expecting, particularly the three months preceding and proceeding childbirth. She is going to be irrational. She is going to be emotional. She has had two minutes sleep in 30 days. Okay, this is not the time now to assert to her that she has a bad attitude and she's negative and she needs to be more positive and she needs to see the bright side. She just needs a husband to come alongside her, pat her on there and go, there, there, honey. There, there, let's go to Nordstrom's. Let's make everything okay. Love is kind. Love is not happy with evil. In fact, this is what the Bible says. In 1 Peter 3-7, to it says, Husbands, 
live with your wives in an understanding way. Do you know that your wives will need a double portion of understanding? Let me tell you why. Because God created men and women very differently. He created men with an eye on the goal, the prize, their headlines. But us girls, we're details people. And as a, as a result, we see more and sometimes we can see things a little bit more clearly. That, In that sense, we actually feel things a little bit more. So we are going to need a greater level of understanding. That's why Peter goes to the whole point of saying, hey, dwell with your wives with a level of understanding. It made it into the Bible for a reason. And then he goes on to say this. He says, show her honour so that your prayers may not be hindered. Amazing. God equates the understanding, the compassion and the honour you show your wife with how your prayers or if your prayers will be answered. Never something that we can discount or take too lightly. There is a weight on how we treat each other. There is a weight on how we need to carry kindness and get rid of the jerk shades. Did I put the jerk shades on? Oh, I didn't. The jerk shades. The jerk shades have no place in marriage. We're not domestic abusers. We don't put those words together. We're each other's champions. We're each other's cheerleaders. We pull out the best in one another. We speak with kindness. We do not delight in evil, but we rejoice in the truth. We have an understanding. And lastly, Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter number 13 that love is patient and that love never gives up. See, when you get handed a pair of these particular shades by society because we live in a society where that says unless it's perfect unless it's whole if it's broken just, just toss it out you can get another one we live in the disposable society and the culture tells us that your greatest goal in life is to be happy all the time and if you're not happy all the time then something's wrong something's broken and it needs to be fixed immediately and if it can't be fixed and you throw it out and you get another one so we walk into our marriage relationship with the perfect shades and we see every little flaw. Oh, and that's the, I, I've, I married the wrong person. They can't have been the right person because things aren't perfect. And I thought they were when we were dating, but, but now I see that they're imperfect and I, I just, I made a mistake. Let me tell you what the perfection shades do. The shades of perfection have you constantly judging, rating and evaluating your spouse. The shades of perfection have you setting goals that are unrealistic and impossible to attain. The shades of perfection leave your spouse feeling inadequate and guilty for not measuring up. The shades of perfection make you more concerned about the goals you have set, the expectations you have for your marriage than for the person that you're married to. Listen to me. This is not so much a marriage relationship as it is a covenant and a promise to another person, another human who God has entrusted you with. Probably worst of all, the perfection shades make you want to quit when things get messed up. You know, like that little kid in kindergarten who's drawing and all of a sudden they go outside the lines and it's just not good enough anymore and they grab the paper, they screw it up and they throw it on the, the floor and they think, I'll just start again. 
So many of us take that warped philosophy, those crazy shades into our marriage relationship and nothing is ever good enough. Newsflash, newsflash. Your spouse is gonna be flawed just as you are flawed. Your spouse is gonna be imperfect just like you are imperfect. And thank God when Jesus, the potter, has us on His potting wheel, when we come in all various shapes and sizes, He doesn't throw the clay away when it doesn't look perfectly how it seems. He's committed to that piece of clay. The potter never gets a different piece of clay. The potter hangs on to the same piece of clay and waits. I'm not looking for perfection. I'm looking for progress. If you look at your marriage relationship through the eyes of perfection, you will constantly be frustrated. Instead, look for progress. Hey, honey, we're not where we ought to be, but thank God we're not where we used to be. Things are getting better. And the God that's begun a great work in me will be faithful to bring it to completion. We're not married to Jesus. We're married to other humans. Other humans who have been trained just like you and given a pair of spectacles and rocked up into the marriage with a whole lot of crazy shades, just like us. Not married to Jesus. We're married to a human that has been trained by other humans, completely flawed. You know, that's why we have a marriage covenant. That's why we give a promise. We give a promise at the altar of marriage. We make vows because promises and vows are needed. They're needed because there's times in your marriage relationship where you will be butting up against the wall of your spouse's imperfection going, oh, I can't stand this. I want to get out. I want to escape. But it's that promise that keeps you when you don't want to be kept. Those words you spoke at the altar, they weren't just empty words words that meant nothing. They were a vow that bound you, that is binding, that keeps you just like God gave a promise to Noah. I will not flood the earth again. Why did God take the time to make that covenant, give that promise to Noah and then sign it with His signature of a rainbow in the sky? Why? Because He might be tempted to flood the earth again. There may come a day when He looked down at the evil on the earth and all that the men and women did was evil continually and think, I want to do it again. But it was His covenant. It was His promise. It was His commitment to progress and not perfection that meant that He'd stay His hand when He felt tempted to do what He had done once before. It is your covenant, your vows, your promises that you make, and make on the altar that will keep you committed, that will keep you when you do not want to be kept, that will hold you, that will stay your hand when you encounter your spouse's imperfection. And thank God, that Jesus had that same idea when it came to us. I love it if we could just close our eyes and bow our heads. It's time for us to take off the crazy shades, the shades of Christ so we can see clearly. So you can see clearly the one that God has entrusted to you. What a treasure they are. And all the while we can't notice, we can't see it because we've been looking through these crazy shades. We've had expectations that are unfair. We've just thought about ourselves. We've lived with a debt to debtor mentality or relationship. And so the joy and the intimacy has left our marriage because they owe you. 
We haven't developed relationships, close relations with other people that can speak into our lives and hold us accountable for the way we treat one another. We've let pride take over or maybe we've been, we've just been a jerk. We've used our words to wound. I know exactly what to say to hurt my husband. That's the problem with such close proximity. You know their vulnerabilities and your weaknesses and really it is just the greatest evil to use them as leverage to bring your spouse pain. But God is wanting us to take off those crazy shades today. And this is a message of liberation because our God is a God who can transform. He can transform even the most broken, wretched, stained and sullied relationship. He can change it. If you submit yourself to Him and submit yourself to His processes, things can be better than they've been. Father, I thank You for every person in this building today. I thank You for Your Word. I thank You that it's gone forth. Father, I thank You for wisdom. Father, and that we would be not just hearers of the Word, but doers. Father, and I pray right now that we would be able to love the ones with a pure love. Father, with a generous love, with a love that forgives, with a love that goes the extra mile, just as You have commanded us, so we can truly enjoy the 1 Corinthians 13 love, just as You explained it. In Jesus' mighty Name, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Lord.